Well, good morning. As you just heard, uh, we are continuing our sermon series, walking through the book of Exodus. And so the past two weeks, we've looked at uh, Exodus 3, and we've seen how God has uh, revealed himself to Moses. And we're still at the burning bush. And and one thing that I I didn't really mention the past couple weeks, um, but each of God's revelation to Moses came as a result of Moses's questioning of God, right? So the, for, for the first week, uh, he asked God, who am I to lead the people? And God responded saying, well, I will be with you no matter what. And then the second question, which we looked at last week, was who are you, right? Who are you? Who am I supposed to tell the people of Israel that you are? And God responds uh, with the divine name, his identity, something um, we talked about last week, a very intimate gest- uh, gesture, This week, Moses asks his third question. It's a what-if question. He says, what if the leaders of Israel don't believe me? He was asking, what if they don't follow me? And God responds with three signs, and and these three signs all showed how he was going to uniquely equip Moses for kingdom service. So about a month ago, I got a phone call from um, Dan Strayer, who's a member here, And he asked me a question uh, that I hadn't been asked in a very long time. He said, do you like fishing? And uh, I didn't really know how to respond to that. I hadn't uh, done any fishing probably since I was 18. Um, But he had won a guided fly fishing trip with one of his buddies. He wanted to offer it to me um, at an auction. And and, uh, I think he was going to take a much more important person, a client, a couple weeks in advance and wanted to get warmed up a little bit, you know. So he He's like, who can I get warmed up with? Well, someone that probably has zero skills, Daniel. And so he called me up. Really, it was just a kind uh, uh, gesture. He wanted to give me a a relaxing day off. Dan knows me well enough to know that I'm not probably the most outdoorsy type. Fishing probably wasn't going to be my strong suit, but he knew that I probably needed a break. And a day sitting on a boat would be good for me. But we weren't just fishing, right? We were fly fishing. So if normal fishing is like just casting a line in, that's like putt-putt, right? Fly fishing is like playing 18 holes of golf, right? It's, it's not easy. It takes a lot of skill and technique and patience. And um, we had a guide with us, which uh, the aforementioned buddy of Dan's, his name was Patrick. He was a master. They say if you really know something, right, you can explain it to a five-year-old, right? Like if you actually understand something, you should be able to explain it to a five-year-old and they can understand it well. Patrick had uh, already taught his four-year-old how to fly fish, and I was probably at the skill and ability of a five-year-old, so it was perfect. He was a great teacher. We did the normal things. He explained to me how to do like a half cast, where to bring my arm up, how, how to use more wrist than arm. A bit later in the day, when I moved from like five-years-old ability to like six-year-old, he, he showed me how to do a full cast and, and how to bring the line backwards and forwards and other basic things like popping the line and, and how to hold it correctly so it doesn't get tangled, all these different things. There's this one thing that he would do that was super helpful as I was throwing the fishing line into the water. You know, especially since I have um, zero ability in this uh, field and also because um, it was my first time, uh, my technique would get off, right? And I wouldn't realize it. Or I would start getting tired and I would do it poorly. He would do this thing called dad mode, which what he would do is he would come up next to me and as I held the, the fishing rod, he would hold my wrist and he would guide my wrist and thro- show me how to cast and it was like doing that was reminding me kind of the technique how to do it. 
he would mirror it for me and do it for me so that when I would do it on my own, I would understand how it felt. This is in a lot of ways what God did for Moses. He kind of went into dad mode. Moses said, the, leader of Israel's have no reason, the leaders of Israel have no reason to follow me. How will I convince them? And God said, I'll, I'll equip you. He said, I'll give you all the tools you need to lead them and to convince them. And these are three signs that, that God gives to Moses, so that they're for his sake, but they're also for the leaders of Israel. And, and, and each of these signs, the snake, leprosy, and the Nile, were actually super symbolic um, of, of all that was going on in captivity in Egypt and in Israel. And they would have been helpful in authenticating his claim, but they also um, would have been, uh, because they pointed to deeper truths, they would have been helpful for Moses to learn and be equipped. In the same way, we are uh, heirs to Moses. In the same way that God called Moses to this, spe- like this specific task to go lead Israel out of Egypt, to be God's agent in rescuing them, so too are we today, the church, called to be God's agent of blessing and salvation and flourishing in the world. And in the same way that, that Moses felt ill-equipped or inadequate or unready for this task, I know that each of us feel that same way as well. This week, I, I thought a lot about why we feel inadequate to go about the purposes of God in his kingdom. And I, I don't actually don't think it's a lack of ability to do the work of God's kingdom. Um, I think that it's actually, we don't really know how to do that in 2020? Like, what does it look like for God's people to be agents of blessing in 2020? To be kingdom-minded during this pandemic and this election cycle? How do we do kingdom work this year? And I'll be upfront, I, I don't think I have the answer to that. But I do think that this passage gives us a few ideas, and it definitely gives us a starting point. And I think that starting point is this. God has promised that he would equip us to do his work. We're not alone. We, we don't have a God who is distant and uninterested in his plan unfolding in the world. He's deeply motivated for his purposes, for his kingdom, and for his plan to happen. And so he's so interested that he's chosen us to partner with him in it, to help us and equip us to do that work. We have a God who has promised to come alongside us and empower us to partner with him and his purpose for the world. And so this morning, we're going to see that we must trust in that equipping. It's so easy to distrust that. But this morning, we're called to trust in his equipping for kingdom work. And we're going to see that he does this in three ways. First, he transforms our circumstances for kingdom work. Second, he renews our hearts for kingdom work. And third, he conquers our obstacles. So transforms our circumstances, renews our hearts, and um, what is that third one? Conquers our obstacles. So he transforms our circumstances. Verses 1 through 5 says this. Moses answered, They will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. He said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground. It became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. 
that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So each of these signs, like I mentioned earlier, gave Moses, um, well, that God gave Moses had a, a deep significance and truth to them. And this first one, transforming his, his staff to a snake, is no different. So Moses had been in exile for 40 years, working as a shepherd ever since he struck an Egyptian foreman. He, he fled for his life, and he started working uh, in the fields. One thing that all shepherds have is what? A staff, Right? There's nothing more ordinary than that staff. It's how they discipline their sheep. It's how they get them to go where they want. And they all have it. It's not like it's a super uh, extraordinary thing. But it's interesting that God chose to make a sign out of one of the most fundamental things to Moses' vocation. He took something very ordinary and he made it extraordinary. So he tells him to throw it on the ground and he, he transformed it to a snake, and, and Moses is, is shocked by this and runs away. I, 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 I was uh, um, surprised by this this week. Uh, Moses, th- just think about this. Moses is tending sheep. He sees a, a bush burning, but the branches aren't uh, being eaten by the flame, so it's self-perpetuating. He sees a messenger of the Lord, right, like essentially an angel. He hears God speak directly to him. All this time, he's good with all of that. But as soon as his staff turns to a snake, this dude runs. <laughs> it says he leaves, he flees. I don't really know what that means, but I just thought that that was really funny this week. Um, snakes are scary, I guess. So why does he turn into a snake? Well, the pharaoh of Egypt wore um, a crown with a headdress with Uraeus, which was uh, a cobra with a raised hood, right? And it was supposed to be an intimidating sight. The cobra crown on the head of the pharaoh um, was supposed to threaten his enemies. It was a sign of power. It was also associated with the sun god, which when when it was united with another god, Amon, that became the most powerful deity in all of Egypt. So when God turned Moses' staff to a snake and then back to a staff again, he was symbolically saying, I am stronger than the strongest gods of Egypt. God declared victory over the snake And in doing so, he challenged the central reality of Egyptian sovereignty and religion. But God does something interesting when he instructed Moses to pick up the snake. He he told him to grab it by the tail. I'm not a herpetologist, but if I remember correctly from wildlife biology class, if you ever pick up a snake, you're supposed to do it by the head so it can't turn around and bite you. But God tells him to pick it up by the tail, um, which is interesting But he was doing that because God isn't just the Lord over Moses. He's not just the Lord over Egypt, but over all of creation too. The God of the universe can take the ordinary and through his power transform it to something extraordinary. One of my favorite things about this sign is that the way that God met Moses first was in the circumstances. On his turf. Moses had been shepherding for 40 years. He'd been using the staff to direct and discipline a sheep for 40 years. And in an instant, God took it and transformed it in a display of power and sovereignty over uh, the most powerful nation in the world. In an instant. This is what our God does. 
He comes on our turf and he transforms our circumstances. He takes our everyday and our ordinary and he transforms them for his glory and his purposes and his kingdom. So what does that mean for us? It means that wherever we are, whatever we're going through, whatever our circumstances are, there's an opportunity for God to transform them to his purposes, to make our everyday and ordinary into something that brings about the kingdom. Remember our thesis. We must trust in that equipping that God does for kingdom service. And your circumstances this morning may feel like they're uniquely disqualifying. You may feel like your circumstances are so ordinary and plain that they couldn't be used. You may feel like your circumstances are dark or broken or sinful that God couldn't possibly use them. And yet, God ordains our steps. He's the God that goes before us and behind us. He knows the hairs on our head. He knows what you're going through. And he wants to use it for his purpose. And some of you are here this morning and you are really going through it this morning. Your circumstances are not what you want them to be. And if you're there and you're struggling, there is space for that struggle. There's space for self-care and there's, there's space for frustration with where you are. But even in the midst of that, remember you have a God who can bring about glory through what you're going through. Think about it this way. Every single one of us has uh, an opportunity in this room and online to be equipped to further the purposes of God and his kingdom simply by recognizing that God is teaching us and teaching you through whatever you're going through. God wants to make that circumstance, wherever you are, whatever ordinary thing or extraordinary thing you're feeling, he wants to bring about his kingdom through it. He could be bringing you through something to strengthen your relationship with him. He could be bringing you through something because one day your story will be freedom for someone else. He could be bringing you through something to refine you and to sanctify you. And, and I don't know what it is for you. But I do know that we have a God who enters into our stuff. The good, the bad, the ugly, and the ordinary. And he will bring about his glory through it. He is equipping you this morning for something right now. Even if you can't see it. Rest in that. Trust in that. And that brings me to my second point. So God equips us for kingdom service, and he does that first by transforming our circumstances. Second, we're going to see that he renews our heart. Verse 6 uh, to 8 says this, Put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, his hand was leprous like snow. And God said, Put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. So the second sign that God gave to Moses to take to the leaders was in some way closer to home, even than the staff, which was so fundamental to his life and every day. But the staff was external, right? His hand was his actual person. What was transformed was an actual part of his body. So why leprous? Well, there was a couple different ways that the leprous hand could be symbolic for Moses in Egypt. Leprosy was considered the punishment for arrogance in the Old Testament. 
So it could be a reminder of God's supremacy and Moses' need to submit to his calling by God. Also, uh, it could be the same for the, arrogant, uh, the arrogance of Egypt itself. It could also symbolize uh, God's authority over disease and sickness, which would foreshadow and anticipate the infliction of pain on Egypt. Um, God has the power to do that through any means, uh, especially to those that oppose him or abuse his chosen people. But I think more than anything, it symbolizes the state of a heart not in submission to the Lord. The leprous hand, when Moses brings it out from behind his cloak, could symbolize the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. It could also symbolize Israel's experience as God's people. We know that Israel consistently uh, failed to measure up to God's demands. An unclean nation that God is committed to moving graciously towards. But I think what it probably symbolizes the most is the state of Moses' heart. Moses, who felt inadequate to the task. Moses, who was on his third question of five, actually, before the creator of the universe about his worthiness and his capability to lead Israel. Moses, who we're about to learn, uh, struggles to speak well and charismatically. Moses, who felt unfit for the kingdom work that God set him apart for. The leprous hand was a clear representation of his heart. So when he pulled it out from the cloak, it was clear that only God can make things that are unclean clean again. Only God can purify our rebellious hearts. Only God can breathe life into our dead bones. Only God can renew the right spirit within us. And this is a good reminder for us. It's a reminder that what's wrong with the world doesn't start out there. It actually starts here. Our, self, our sinfulness, our willful rebellion is what separates us from God. The impurity of our own hearts. Moses had a low estimation of his ability to do the work that God called him to. But here God makes him go even lower, right? To see that the impurity is not just an ability but also an identity, Right? And this may seem harsh or judgmental or not gracious, but it's actually the opposite. Because for God to renew Moses, he had to go as deep as the contagion itself was. He had to go to the heart, scraping at the very core of Moses' person to regenerate and renew every place that sin touched. This was necessary for Moses to be able to do the work of God's kingdom. The old Moses made new. The power of God is a power that regenerates and restores and makes things new. God is in the business of renewing hearts. And the starting point of how God equips me and you for kingdom work is by the renewal of our hearts. Our feelings of shame come from our heart. I think more than anything, um, one of the major heart issues that we struggle with is, a sh is shame. Remember the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is doing something wrong, so feeling guilty is feeling bad about something wrong that you've done. Shame is a whole different level. Shame is not doing something wrong. Shame is saying, I am wrong. Who I am at a base level is wrong. Guilt says, I've done wrong, but shame says, I am wrong. Guilt says I'm guilty. Shame says I'm dirty. Guilt says I'm in debt for what I've done, but shame says I am the debt because I'm fundamentally broken. 
Shame causes us to hide while also worries that no one sees us. Shame tells us that we are unwanted for who we are. There's few things in life that are more damaging than shame. And I know that that's what Moses was feeling. I know he felt shame in his ability to lead. I know he felt shame before a holy and perfect God. I know he felt shame in his 40 years of exile. And I know many of you feel shame this morning. But this story shows us that though the problem in the world starts here and not out there, we have a God who renews hearts. We have a God who sees our shame and answers it with grace, love, and truth. We, we have a God who sees our shame and reminds us that we're clothed in Christ. We have a God who sees our dirtiness but declares us clean. We have a God who sees us the good, the bad, and loves us. No need to hide because we have a God who draws near to us, who speaks directly to that piece of us that says, I am the debt and takes it away from us. This is the word of hope this morning. When we were far from God, he brought us near to him through the work of Jesus on the cross. When our sin caused separation between us and God, Jesus became sin for us so that we could be saved. God has purified our hearts, renewed our hearts through the cross. Our shame is swallowed up in the death and resurrection of Jesus. We are made new. King David knew about shame. King David, more than most, I think, understood shame. And he understood it, I think, because he understood grace so well. To truly understand grace, you have to understand shame. After David committed adultery and slept with Bathsheba, the, the prophet Nathan came to him, called him out on it, right? And when God's chosen agent on earth, the heir to Moses, a man after God's own heart, sinned egregiously, this is what he did. He wrote Psalm 51. And Psalm 51 is a hopeful psalm. Here's why I think he was hopeful after that encounter. David knew his heart was impure. He knew his actions stemmed from impurity, and he felt shame. But Psalm 51 shows us that he knew as much as he knew about his sinfulness, he knew God's power to restore, renew, and redeem even more. And his words in Psalm 51 can be your words this morning if you're feeling shame. Hear them. He says this. And this is true of you this morning. It's true of me this morning. It says this. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities, but create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Church, those words are yours this morning. And brings us to our third point. So we trust in God's equipping. We've seen that he transforms our circumstances. He renews our hearts. And we're going to see that he conquers our obstacles. 
So he finishes giving those two signs to Moses, and he says, If they will not believe these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood. This sign, I think, even more than the authority and power that the snake and the staff symbolize, it struck directly at the heart of the difficulty of the task that God was calling Moses to. The Nile was the life source of the Egyptian empire. It's estimated that the Nile Basin received as much as 30 feet of mud annually from the waters churning. Um, And this churning water and overturning the mud washed, cleansed, and renewed um, Egypt's soil annually. And it was because of the, um, the, the fertile uh, soil and land um, that was uh, as a result of the Nile that Egypt was um, as powerful, wealthy, and was able to advance technologically as much as they were. Um, it was all because of the Nile. The Nile was Egypt. So when God told Moses that he would be able to pollute those waters, he was claiming victory and supremacy over the source of Egypt's power. So to threaten and destroy this was to destroy Egypt itself. Such is the power of God. Blood is a symbol of life and death. And in this case, it would be life for the Egyptian slaves, the Israelites, and death for their enslavers. So if the first two signs were not enough to prove legitimacy, this one would be enough. The God who appointed Moses to leadership had command over the elements, over the greatest empire in the world, even over their source of power. So with this last sign, God's saying there's no obstacle, no power, nothing in the world that's big enough for me to not overcome. Nothing. And this is a reminder for us, church, that we have a God who overcomes. We have a God who doesn't see problems as impediments, but as opportunities to show his glory. We have a God who perseveres, who is more powerful than all the powers on the earth. Our God overcomes. And what God just showed Moses a picture of, we have a fuller realization in Jesus. What God hinted at by turning water into blood, we see clearly in the blood poured out on the cross. We have a God who can overcome even the greatest evil in the world, sin. And that sin that's, that's pervasive throughout is nothing compared to the power of God. In Jesus, we see the full commitment of God to overcome any and all obstacles, even if it costs him the most precious thing in the world, his own son. And in that victory, we're saved. A victory unlike the world had ever seen through sacrifice. God overcame that which we never could. And in that victory, he claims me and he claims you. This is the God who has asked us to partner with him, who equips us for kingdom work. The God who promises to come alongside us to empower us to bring his light as a God who can overcome anything. And many of you feel like you have obstacles this morning that keep you from honoring God in your lives. I know that. Many of you feel like there are things in your life that keep you from being who you want to be, much less give space for who God has called you to be. Many of you feel anxiety, COVID, politics, the world in 2020 is too big of an obstacle for you or even the world to flourish. And I get it. And I feel that way often. But don't forget that we have a God who overcomes. We have a God who sees obstacles and they don't phase him. 
We have a God who both cares deeply about COVID and those affected by it, but also a God who won't let it thwart his purposes. We have a God who both cares deeply about you and your anxiety and what you're going through, and yet won't let it hinder his plan for you. We have a God who cares deeply. about everything that we've experienced, sin that we've committed or done to us, and yet doesn't stop him from calling us to kingdom work because we have a God who overcomes. This morning, as you think about Going into the world in 2020, trying to figure out what it means to be a light to the nations, to promote the shalom that John mentioned earlier, to bring about the kingdom of God. When you are thinking about how to do that, think first of the power of God to overcome and what he's calling you to. Um, When I was 10, I thought fishing was boring. I wanted to run around the neighborhood, and I had no time for it. When I was 15, I felt the same. When I was 18, I felt the same. But in my 30s, with two kids under four, a busy life, sitting on a boat with two guys was incredible. It forced me to slow down. It forced me to relax, to learn a new skill, to embrace some serenity that comes from the beautiful rhythm of fly fishing, um, I talked about Patrick going into dad mode, right? Um, how he grabbed my hand and, and helped me learn how to do it. But um, on that boat, it felt a little bit like God went into dad mode with me a little bit, if that makes sense. It was like my good and heavenly father was whispering to me that he loved me, that he cared for me, that he saw me, that no, however inadequate I felt, no matter how far from him I felt, that he was with me. I had to make space for that. And it was good because it was in the slowing down that I was reminded that God does want to use me for his purposes and that he can do it. And this morning, he wants to empower you to do the same. He wants to transform your circumstances for his glory. He wants to speak to your shame and renew your heart's so that his kingdom can be advanced. He wants to remind you that no obstacle or problem is too big for him to overcome because he is with you. This is the God that we serve. And maybe we need to slow down. It's funny, uh, it seems like everything is shut down and so we should be slowed way down and yet it also feels like everything is so chaotic that we don't have any time to make space for the Lord or for ourselves. My encouragement for you is to make that space. See where the Lord is calling you this morning to bring about his kingdom. I think about um, Jesus and the night um, that he was, the night before he was betrayed, you know, he went and he prayed and he went to the garden and he spent time alone with God. And he knew what was coming. He knew that God's plan of redemption was coming. And he had to prepare for it. And he went and he slowed down and he prepared his heart. And then he submitted to what the God of the universe, his good and loving father, called him to. He went to the cross. And 
at the cross, his body was broken and his blood was spilled out so that we could be saved. And what's so beautiful about this table is that it's, it's both a reminder to us of that, but also as we take of the bread and the blood, something uniquely spiritual was happening. Christ is renewing and restoring our hearts and empowering us for kingdom work. This table is, is, is gracious to us because it renews our hearts. Jesus is here with us at the table, and he wants to sanctify, renew, and restore your heart this morning as we take the elements. So will you stand with me and open up your bulletin